Hello, and welcome to episode 67 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. Thank you very much for listening in today. The worst thing is not that someone has a bad impression of you. The worst thing is that someone has no impression of you. This is my favorite quote in my conversation with today's guest, Shelley O'Donovan, founder and CEO of Authentic Influence Group. I'm going to repeat that quote since I sort of threw it at you at the beginning of the podcast. The worst thing is not that someone has a bad impression of you. The worst thing is that someone has no impression of you. Today's episode is called Mastering Influence and Authenticity in the New Normal. You will definitely pick up some pearls on communication in this program. With Shelley's help, we discuss authenticity, some of the bigger challenges in communication today, leaders and communication, some tips for having impact, and detecting lies. Now, if you want to meet some other like-minded medtech professionals, consider looking into the non-LinkedIn community, MedTech Leaders. I am the host of this community, and you can learn more about it at medtechleaders.net. It has a lot of great leadership, sales, and marketing resources. As always, I will have links to Shelley's LinkedIn profile, website, and other items in the show notes. And if you think a colleague would benefit from this podcast, use the share link in your podcast provider to pass it on. Also, do not hesitate to contact me with questions, suggestions, and ideas. I enjoy the feedback and interaction. Now let's get together with Shelly to be sure to avoid a situation where someone has no impression of you. Shelly, it is really great to have you on the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and see you today. Oh, well, this is an interesting subject that you've got. So tell us a little bit about your role and the Authentic Influence Group. Yeah, so I am the owner and founder of the Authentic Influence Group. And what we do is we go in and train mostly in pharma and medical device. And we train on body language, communication, how to move up that corporate ladder, how to really get your voice heard. Um, we've got a number of different programs. Right now we're in one medical device company um, specifically doing a pilot program, which is a longer program and helping women um, specifically move up that corporate ladder, giving them some of the tools they need to really be visible within their organizations. I think it's interesting the name that you chose for your company, Authentic Influence. And the reason I think that's interesting is because a lot of the time in our industry or any industry, when we talk about communications, we don't use the word authentic a whole lot. It does come up sometimes, especially in sales, because actually in sales, we're encouraged to be authentic, but also the concept of influence. influence. And so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So authentic. The reason I picked authentic was I just felt like you, in order to really communicate and be successful at how you're communicating, you have to be authentic, authentic to what you're trying to put forward and how you do it in a way that really honors your personality and who you are. And the influence part, it just, you know, spawns from my career really focused on influencing for companies, um, but also picking up a lot of patterns um, within those companies and watching how people really struggled with that influence, could have all the technical knowledge in their jobs, be knocking it out of the park with that technical knowledge, but not able to move because they weren't able to influence kind of their careers and where they were headed. Okay. And one thing when you talk about influence and here we are in a virtual world, uh, talking to each other, we're using Zoom. There's all, all kinds of virtual mediums to use. And so that, inf- that I don't want to use the word influence too much because it's the name of your group, but that does have an impact on, on how we communicate. So I just want to tell the listeners, the viewers can see this, but the listeners that Shelly has um, a sort of a nice, I would call it a steel blue wall behind her that really has her stand out. Mm-hmm. So you know, she is definitely the focus of her virtual presentation where I've got uh, several bookshelves behind me. It's sort of confusing. Some people think it's great, but I sort of like the look that Shelly has, you know, you really stand out. It's not a washed out background. It's not muted. It's, it's sort of bold, but then, and you have the right clothes and of course, you know, skin tone hair and everything, but it just, it looks very professional. And I think that's a very important part of setting a stage for, uh, communicating and, and influencing people. So I just wanted to bring that point up. So walk us through your um, early career and how things developed in your career and in your education and the things that you were teaching that started to make you believe there was a need for this kind of, um, of you know, coaching and programs on authentic influence. What, what got you there? Yeah. Yeah, so I started my career in state government. And so um, in two, I was in two different state governments, actually, at two different times in my early career, and just started to notice patterns of how people influenced. And I was doing a lot of work trying to influence lawmakers to vote specific ways on pieces of legislation to educate them on legislation. And so I started to pick up patterns. And I learned a lot in politics about how to network Um, and just how to present myself, and then moved into a lobbying role for the um, University of Pennsylvania Health System, again, advocating and influencing on behalf of our patients and on behalf of the health system itself. And then into pharma, doing similar things as, as well. So in that government relations space, but really public policy advocacy, um, looking at kind of how we impact the federal government and try to try to leave channels open so that our patients can get the drugs they need. Um, I did a lot of work in the vaccine space. And so how do we open those channels? How do we influence that? Working with think tanks as well, and just trying to really look at how we could influence that. And all of those places, I noticed that there were a lot of people internally in those places who didn't know how to impact and influence in their own careers. And so everything you do every day for the most part in business is about influence. It's about, you know, can I get that project passed? Can I get the budget for the project I need? Can I get this moved along? And so you need to have those skills. And I just found that people were really struggling with it and they needed someone to show them the way and to kind of educate them as well. 
so in the process of this, these career moves and this career experience, was there a course about influencing people that you took and it made you more aware of it? Or were you just particularly observant and sensitive? Because my experience with a number of people is they are so wrapped up in their own world that they don't notice everything else going on around them. They aren't sensitive to the cues that they should be sensitive to, and they do miss opportunities. So were you just super sensitive to it and or aware or did you take some courses? What happened? Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. Like I was certainly super sensitive to it. And then just in having that background in politics, you you can't get anything done without involving someone else, right? Without influencing yeah. somebody else or getting them to do something for you or you doing something for them. And so um, and then I took some training courses in body language specifically, and just some like really gentle courses. And I was um, sent up to Harrisburg to lobby. That's the state capital in Pennsylvania to lobby on behalf of um, the pharma industry. And they kind of go in and do these round robins. And um, I was with a group in front of one legislator who had almost no um, power because he was a freshman legislator. They normally don't have any power in the legislature, but we walked in and we kind of told him the you know, what we needed and why we needed it, why it was important for our patients. And I started to just change my body language. And I also noticed his body language. And that's what really blew me away, right? He had all the things that you need to have in terms of the body language, the energy. And I just noticed that people sat up in the room. They started to react to him differently. They weren't even in his party, most of them, but they were just like kind of enamored by him. And, you know, walking out, they were like, wow, like what a fresh of breath of air, what a, you know, fresh breath of air. And it just made such a big impact. And I knew, I knew right then it was the body language. And that's when I went back in and took, you know, more and more training and hours of work and, um, and really just um, hit the ground running with it because I just felt like it made such a big difference. And eventually, you know, you, you got a degree, an advanced degree in the area, right? of communication and yes, yes. So I, yeah, I have, um, degrees mostly kind of in the public policy advocacy space. And so masters of public administration, um, my undergrad is in political science, but I did all the coursework in communication as well and have taken loads of, um, certifications and body language. So from behavioral research lab, I've been trained, um, also, Paul Ekman, who's kind of the grandfather of microexpressions, has been through his programs to train on microexpressions, which are these really quick, fast expressions that we make. They're involuntary, but they can give you a lot of cues as to how someone feels. Those are called microexpressions? Microexpressions, yes. Oh, wow. And sometimes they happen so fast that the, the naked eye can't really see them. But when you go through his training, you learn how to kind of subconsciously spot them. Um, so it's pretty incredible stuff. So I have to ask you, if you know all this stuff about micro expressions, more general expressions and body language, do you then become sort of protected from revealing too much yourself because you know how to counter it? You know how not to give yeah. something away? So a little bit. So you can control your body language in some ways, but I will say that like micro expressions are involuntary. Okay. So even the folks that have been trained, you know, for years and years and years in body language still leak out some of these things. And so it becomes really difficult, but 
there's a lot that you can learn and a lot of ways that you can tweak your body language to just give off a better, more confident impression that you're trying to, to give off. Okay. So you could, it can go both ways then not only yes. what you're reading, but you know, how you're communicating your own body language. Exactly. Um, so what do you think the biggest challenges are for people today in terms of communication? Yeah. So I think this world, this new normal that we're in is just really interesting. And so there's a lot of new challenges in terms of the technology and how you're presenting yourself. And then I think as we're kind of moving back in, in some way, I think that's going to present challenges as well. I was just at a meeting this week, in-person meeting, people didn't know what to do, right? Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Do I shake somebody's hand? Do I not shake somebody's hand? Do I back up? Like, so there's a lot of confusion just as this re-entry happens. And I think the real, um, the real challenge for individuals is being visible within your company, whatever that means. So if you're, you know, working remotely, making sure people know that you're there still, if you're going in the office, making sure that people know that you're there. Um, so there's a lot of challenges in that visibility of communication. Okay. So on the one hand, if you're going into a face-to-face meeting for the first time in a long time and nobody has created any guidelines, I guess you could suggest that somebody do create some guidelines about social distancing or touching like a handshake or do you do elbow bumps or fist bumps or you know whether you're going to wear a mask or not or it's voluntary or respect other people's you know willingness to wear a mask I, I, so it could be good for somebody organizer of the meeting or if you are going into it and nobody has set these guidelines up to ask that they be set up or to volunteer them that would be one thing i'm hearing and then in terms of the virtual is don't sit back and think that, gee, I'm in my home office. You know, I don't, I'm working, but I don't really have to show up. You do have to show up. People need to know you're around. Absolutely. And I, I really hit home on that because we need, we, we need to see you. So don't turn off the camera. Like I need to know you're in the room because if the camera is off, then I'm going to assume you're like eating your lunch or like vacuuming while that meeting's on. So we need, we need to see you. And in terms of setting those guidelines, I think that's a great, um, a great idea to have that set up. But even if not, if you're walking into a situation where that's not set up, just call it out. Hey, I I'd love to shake your hand, but I'm not comfortable with that quite yet. You know, just be honest and open about it. And that will make it less awkward for people. Right. Right. And then what about for leaders in terms of how they communicate to their organizations, whether it's a small team or a large team? There has been some conversation um, that I've seen, even put out by some of the large consulting firms about this concern that uh, there are, there's a number of executives um, that had a view that the pandemic would be over and it'd be back to their normal ways. And they were just sort of waiting it out, but they really weren't adopting any new communication tools or communication capabilities. They were just sort of winging it through all the Zoom meetings or Microsoft meetings, you know, and so on. But this is going to continue for some time and and who knows what's next. So what guidance would you have for, you know, executive leadership and how they set things up to communicate with their um, 
you know, staffs and their, the, yeah. the teams at their company? Yeah. I first and foremost know that this is going to stay in some way, shape or form for a while. I yeah. think, I mean, you know, we've broken open the kind of this idea of working remotely too. And so that's going to really shift things and who knows what that brings. Um, the other thing I would say is just as a leader, you're really hopefully in service in some way to your, your teams. And so, you know, giving them the leeway to do what they need to do, but also to communicate with them where they're at. So, you know, I have folks that do some work for me and they, they respond to me if I text them. So that's exactly how I always get in touch with them because I know I'm going to get a response that way. Um, You know, I have other folks that work for me that I tag them on LinkedIn and that's how we do work together. So, Mm -hmm. you know, really meeting people where they are and as a leader, realizing that sometimes it's, it's your responsibility to be where they are just as much as it's their responsibility to, to track you down. Okay. In a lot of things, you know, we talk in terms of something being, there's an art to it and there's a science to it. And um, like one of the big misconceptions in sales is that it's mostly art, that somebody has a silver tongue and they can sell ice to an Eskimo, whatever. But really there's a lot of science in selling and when it's done correctly and the training programs are good and, and so on. So what is the art side of communicating? Yeah, so there is definitely an art and a science to communication as well. And I tell people just, you know, think about the fact that even as a child, right, you're learning communication the whole time along. That never really stops. So that should be something that's a skill set that you're going back to, you're looking to as well. And I think that the art piece of it is certainly um you, like you are bringing you to that communication, um, whatever that communication is. So if you are lucky enough to be somebody who connects well with others and who's warm, that that's going to um, come across. If you're somebody who's just really confident, that's going to come across. So kind of tune up those things that really work for you and bring those out in your communication, because that's going to make you stand out from the, you know, the next person who has different skills. Okay. And then let's, let's use some examples because my next question was, you know, how can people assert greater influence like in a virtual world? So like, what are some of the verbal and nonverbal cues that these, that people could employ? Let's give, let's get into some examples. Yeah, sure. So a couple things that you can do. So first of all, in a meeting, I tell people, you know, have the camera on, make sure it's on be actively listening. So that means when someone says something that you're, you know, you're paying attention, you might be nodding, you're looking to the camera, you're not like doing something else. If you are taking notes, I highly recommend showing the pen. Um, so oh, that's that a good idea. That yeah. People see that you're actually taking notes when you look down that you're not on your phone. Um, so those things are helpful. And then just, you know, speaking up within the first five minutes of the meeting, whether it's online or in person. Um, and trying to come prepared with a specific message that you're trying to communicate. Like, what is your intent? What is your goal? Which may be different from, you know, the person next to you, you know, your goal might be to be seen by the boss um, and their goal might be to get a project through. So thinking about what your goal is and how you're going to support that goal, having questions ready to ask. Um, we, We often forget how important and how just how powerful questions are. 
And even if they're not, you know, even if they're just questions to get to the bottom of something, they become really insightful and it, and it will actually make you stand out and be more visible in a meeting. Those are great ideas. So let's re let's repeat a couple of them. One of them is make sure you speak up at some point early in the meeting to establish the fact that you're there and that you're a participant participant. Another was I love the idea about the pen. I frequently, because my desk is below the camera view. So I tell people up front, I and I don't know if you, you remember, I might have done this with you, but I'll say, I'm not looking at my phone, I'm taking notes, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I make sure that's really clear. Um, so I think the or just have the pen up while you're talking about something, sort of waving it around so people see that you've got a pen in your hand. I think that's great. Good questions. I might have already said that. Um, what about um, you know body language in this situation? Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of things that you can do with your body language. So remember, when you're on a video, you only have like this square, right? So it's not a lot of space because people right. sometimes get intimidated by that. Just think, it's one square. That's all I have to control, right? There can be a mess in the rest of the room as long as I control that square. So make sure that looks professional. Um, I would tell you to light from the front. So um, at this stage, I have lights because I do lots of presentations and training. But before I did, I would pull things from all over my house, right, and put them behind. It doesn't have to be expensive light setup. Um, that's helpful as well. And then just having open body language, right? Having the hands open, having a shot where I can see your hands and you can talk with your hands because hands actually build trust. So when we see someone's hands, we actually put down our guard a little bit and it comes back to like when we were cavemen. And so we'd see somebody walking down the road and we were looking for their hands. And the reason we were looking for their hands was that we were trying to figure out, did they have a weapon, right? Is this person a friend or a foe? And so our brains still do this. They might not actively be looking for a weapon, but they are trying to figure out, are you a friend or a foe? And if I can't see your hands, I'm not so sure. And so, um, so it's really important that you show your hands when you can have that open body language as well. Look in the camera straight on. Like a lot of us now have monitors and different yep. um, sides. Don't be looking at the monitor, right? Make sure you're looking right into the camera and that's going to make a huge difference in just how you're perceived in that meeting. Um, you can also like one other thing that's not um, nonverbal, but you know, somebody who's leading a meeting, who's facilitating a meeting, they've got a lot going on, right? They've got to run the meeting and they're sometimes stressed about that. Like raising your hand and saying, you know, hey, I can help you today. Like, if do you want me to monitor the chat? Do you want me to um, take some notes for you? Like that makes you indispensable in a meeting. That's a good idea. And for listeners, again, if we go to the way that Shelly is positioned in her camera, uh, and this is another point is don't have your, my head might be actually a little bit too low in my screen. Uh, uh, Shelly actually has, you know, her head and her shoulders and her upper body take up most of the screen so that when she does lift her hands up to talk, you can see her hands. And so she, she was, she was walking the walk when she talks about using her hands, you can see her hands in the video, which also means that you're probably a little further back than a lot of people are when they're using their laptops to participate in a meeting or whatever. Um, yeah, I, 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 I had a meeting with somebody the other day and that uh, wanted to do some kind of a, a deal with me. And, 
and they're they I all I could see was for like from their nose up. And, <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and I remember thinking this isn't real impressive. They they've got to be looking at the camera and see the same thing. You know, this isn't really impressive. I don't know about this person. It didn't didn't leave me really confident about any kind of a program with them. But anyway, for the viewers and listeners, um, especially listeners, yeah, she is using her hands and and it really is nice. Now, and that brings up another point on uh, you know, like so the the nonverbal. What do you think of people using these filters? Oh, so when you, so tell me when you say filter, do you mean like the background or do you mean like a cat? Or like, no, the, no, the background, the background. So they put an ocean in the background yeah. or sometimes it can be a, a blurred filter, but it's still a filter. And, yeah. you know, you see that, that, that <laughs> the edge, or if they do talk with their hands, their hands are going in and out of the picture. Yeah. So I personally do not like the filters. I think it really does you a disservice. Um, You know, there are corporations and things that sometimes want that. If someone's presenting, they'll put up, I I know I'm going to do a conference in a couple of months and that, and they've asked that we have the filter behind. So I don't love that, but um, sometimes you can't get away from it, but having the filter off makes a huge difference. You actually look like a real person in a real place. And it, it just, yeah, it makes a huge difference in how you connect to the audience and for positioning. So I have my camera almost like a full arm's length away from me. Right. And that's exactly for that reason, right? I want to be able to use my hands. And if you think about it, if we were in a boardroom with say 10 other people, we would never be able to all sit across from one another. Right. So when we sit across from another, it's actually a really kind of intimate um, space and it builds trust. So when we see someone head on, there are studies, um, I think it was Bernieri who did a study who found that when we see somebody head on, they're seen as more trustworthy, more open-minded. So there is some benefit to Zoom because now all of a sudden everybody's kind of head on to you, face on. Um, and so that builds trust as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this is really good. Um, and So we talked about uh, the virtual setting, seeing body language. What kind of body language should we be looking for with our colleagues as we're participating in meetings? So, you know, we want to generate confidence. We want to maybe be able to talk with our hands to and make the whole conversation more intimate. But what kind of body language should we be looking for? Yeah. So you can look for the same kind of things. Like, do they look like they're open? So if by chance you're presenting or you're saying something and somebody crosses their arms, that's considered a blocking, um, blocking. And so they could block because it's cold and maybe there's like a gust of air in their house or whatever, but often it's because we're closed off to what you're saying. You've just said something I don't like. And so I'm closed off to it. I'm not buying your project, whatever it is. So, um, if you can open that body language up, for somebody, then they're more receptive to listen to what you have to say. So in a Zoom meeting, one thing I might do if I see that is I might say, you know, Ted, can you just tell me, like, could you just write down, like, what are some of the things that you're thinking about, about our project? And so now you have to take the pen and you've got to have to open up and that's going to get you a little bit more involved and engaged in the meeting as well. And hopefully closer to thinking about this project or this thing that we're working on together and be more receptive with it. 
Um, a couple other things you might look for. Someone says like, if they say, yes, I'm really interested in helping you, but they're shaking <laughs> their head. No, like that's an incongruency. So something's not right there. Right. Yeah. So they're probably not really interested in helping because they're shaking their head. No. Or sometimes people say like, you can even hear that verbally, right? You'll say, um, do you want to do you want to stay after tonight and help me work on this? And they're like, no, but I, I don't have anything else so I can stay. Or like right there, they just said no for a second. So they don't. Um, so if you can catch those things, it becomes really, really helpful in knowing how someone feels about a project or whatever you're trying to influence them on. You know, I've always known about the arms crossed. And I think any good uh, salesperson knows that that's not a good sign if you're talking to a prospective customer and they're sitting there listening to you and their arms are crossed. And even though I know that, I still, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, oh, a good 85, 90% of times, if I cross my arms in a situation, I, I, I immediately catch myself and I know that, yeah, I'm being defensive about it. Yeah. it it's funny how you can't help that. It's such yes. a funny, I don't know if it's a protective thing to cross your arms. Is it protection? It is. It's a little bit of protecting. You're kind of protecting your, your space. There are other things you can do too. Like if you're uncomfortable, like you watch the hearings in Washington when they're really on the, um, you know, really getting fired questions, they might start to um, adjust their tie uh-huh. or a woman might adjust her, her dress or like her necklace. And that's this piece kind of near your neck is called the suprasternal notch. And we rub it when we're feeling um, threatened. And it's kind of a, a behavior to calm ourselves down. So you would never just rub it um, generally, but you would do things to kind of get at it. And that means the person's like a little bit nervous or a little defensive. They're kind of on edge um, and they're trying to calm themselves down. It actually gives us a hit of oxytocin. So I tell people, if you can really? rub it like or you go into a presentation or something and no one is seeing you do it because it does look a little strange when you do it. Um, it will give you that kind of hit of oxytocin and make you feel a little bit better. And what's that What's that uh, physiological spot called again? It, it's called the suprasternal notch. And it's right up here, right, um, right, right here. at the top, right? right that here. little notch there. Yep, you can kind of see it. Huh. I did not know about that. So if I need a dose of oxytocin, man, I'm going right for the right there before I do something. Definitely. (laughs) Interesting. Um, Okay. So a lot of what we've talked about here is relevant, whether we're talking, you know, virtually or we're talking face to face. Of course, it seems like the advantages in face to face uh, versus virtually for the most part. But one of the things that, um, you and I talked about before is the concept of lie detection. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so for everybody that's listening or viewing, I want to, I want to make sure that you understand that to really do this well, you need what? To really do it well, you really need to, first of all, train. And it's it's a pretty intensive process. So the first thing that you do um, is to baseline someone. And so you can, so baselining is basically how someone acts when they're under normal, non-threatening conditions. And sometimes you'll ask a question, make them like just a little bit nervous, but so that they don't necessarily lie, but you see what they do, what their body does. 
And then you look for changes. And there are certain things like statistically that liars do, but it's not always. So you could have some of these things in your baseline that liars statistically do more, but you just do as part of who you are. And so that's why it gets really complicated. But we we lie. Um, researchers have found, I think it was Robert Feldman that found that um, we lie every like two to three times for every 10 minutes. We all do it. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm a liar. (laughs) You are a liar. Now I just crossed my arms. (laughs) You're defensive already, right? Yeah. I'm defensive already. Well, and you're lied to about 200 times per day from other people. And so these are, you know, these are all sorts of lies. So these could be the big zingers, right? But these could also be like little lies that you tell yourself, like, oh, if I have that, you know, that uh, Hershey's kiss, it's not going to have any calories. Like it's all sorts of lies like that, or little lies you tell your friend when, you know, my best friend, when, when she says, oh, do you like this dress? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great dress. Like it's all those kind of little lies too. So some of them are kind of there to help other people along and, and others can be real zingers, right? There's some real zingers there too. But the reason this subject's important is that it could have an impact on a professional uh, woman or man, you know, in an organization and they're trying to navigate whether it's the politics or whether it's, you know, getting a project done and working with colleagues, you know, cross-functionally or within your function. So I think that's why you spend time with, with people on that. If, if, if they want this kind of training, am I correct? Yes, you are. And I, um, I, so I don't have a lot of clients that go into the deep lie detection, but I do have certain departments and certain groups that tend to come to me and want kind of deeper lie detection. And it's because of that, because they feel like, you know, the whole story isn't here all the time. And I'm just trying to get to the bottom of how this is. And so we spend a lot of time going through how to do lie detection, how to use it, because the average person um, has about a 54% um, lie detection at any given time. But if we train you, we can get you up at least 25%, sometimes 50%. And so even a lie detector itself is up around 93% or something. And so we can get you pretty close to that, but, but it takes a lot of learning. And the thing I tell people is it's a blessing and a curse because once you learn it, you see things you don't want to see. And sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes that's not great. Right. So, right. So ignorance is bliss sometimes. Right. So in a, in a corporate environment or a company environment, there it could be even a salesperson in the field dealing with a customer doing, uh, working in a negotiation. Can you give an example of how somebody might put that tool to constructive use as to help them navigate? Can you, can you give like a, a little bit of a case demonstration case example? Yeah, sure. So one thing might be in sales, right? If I'm going in to meet with you and, um, and, I sense that you're not interested and I'm trying to find out why and what it is. Like maybe when I put the price forward, that's when you're starting to make some cues. Um, And maybe you're saying that you're interested, but you're, but you're not like there's all these line cues that come together. So one, one cue that sometimes is a cue. I want to just caution your audience to not 
um, automatically assume that this is a cue all the time because it's not. Um, but sometimes when people touch their nose, it's a lying cue. And ah. it's because we have a small piece of cartilage kind of in our nose. And when we lie, um, it actually kind of just expands a tiny bit. And so it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. So you'll touch your nose. And, um, and if you think about it in order to lie, like the brain actually has to do a lot. It's got to really think about the story it's telling. It's got to get those details straight. Then I've got to watch you to see if you actually believe what I'm saying. And I've got to kind of pivot that whole time in what I'm saying so that I see if you even are buying what I'm saying. So there's a lot that has to go on and it's, it's very stressful, on the body to lie. And so that's why these things get leaked out, whether it's touching the nose or sometimes there's, um, if it's something really that's, um, you know, a big lie and someone's really feeling it, there might be some other things like breathing and some other things that come up. And once you can see those, you can cluster that. And so like in a sales conversation, that might be really useful information to know that it's the price that somebody's um, getting hung up on or that, that it has nothing to do with that um, as well. Okay. What about uh, an internal, internally in an organization, like somebody's, um, maybe they're in marketing or product management or product development, and they're working on a project with other colleagues and they're trying to move, do their job, do their part of the job to move forward with whatever, whatever, whatever project they're on. Mm -hmm. Give an example of where, um, you know, being able to, appreciate or understand that somebody might be not be totally honest in their response. How could that be helpful? Yeah, that, I mean, it, it's definitely helpful because I think in big, um, in big companies as well, there's a lot of politics at play, right? Office politics. And I feel like if, if, uh, Ted gets this project, I'm, I might not get my project. And so, um, so sometimes that's a great place to see it as well. So I had one client um, who was taking a product through, through copy approval, right? And um, she was in kind of the space that I had been in before. So in this public policy space, they don't normally take things through copy approval. It's not, it's just not normally done, but this was a specific product. And so there was a marketing person in that product, in that copy approval meeting who was annoyed that now all of a sudden like this, public policy person swooping in and having this product ahead of hers. And so, um, you know, they kind of came to blows a little bit and this person was clearly lying about why she didn't think this public policy product was worth copy approval status, you know, and why it wasn't, um, it shouldn't meet the guidelines, but it was, it was clear. It was just because she was upset that it was holding up her project. So, you know, she actually was able to see some cues, some lying cues, and then continue to kind of just push for more information. And that, that kind of, you know, let that project flow again. Well, and I think that's a really good point. So the fact that you're able to detect that somebody is not being completely truthful um, is something that you sort of on in your head, you have to forgive them for to a certain degree so you can be constructive. So instead of making you defensive, what it should be doing is having you ask the question, why are they behaving that way? Why are they doing that? And what is my response going to be a constructive response to keep things moving? Yes. How close am I? 
Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. And, and that's with all of this body language, I just, you have to come at it from a a good positive place, right? It can be used for really manipulative things. Right. Um, And I really caution people against that because it's just not, it's not fair to be manipulative with it, but it is really useful information. And so if you know that somebody's lying to you, and you can get to the bottom of why and how how you can resolve that situation then hopefully you can have a better relationship with that colleague okay how can people in addition to working with you in in your organization what can people do on their own to prepare them to be better uh, communicators whether it's you know virtually whether it's face to face both verbally and non-verbally what can they what could they be doing yeah so i so more than anything just starting to watch other people so mm. watch find somebody in your organization who you really admire who you like their communication style and just track them and see what do they do like how are they getting traction within the organization um, how are they speaking how are they packaging their ideas and you can start to really quickly pick up some great tips and just some patterns of how people move. And so that becomes really important and it can really take your career to the next level. Um, so once you see that person, like just take notes on what they're doing right and why, why they're getting such visibility within your organization. How about practicing and, and recording it? Yes, that's a great one. And um Excellent. So it you can pr- you could tape a you know a meeting or anything, and then just see what you do. Like see what you do, and um, you'll be amazed at some things that you may do. And you may try to fix something, and sometimes something else slips out over here um, because our bodies just leak out emotions. Like we feel emotions in all and our whole body. And so I'm sure if you think back to last time you were really angry, you know that you felt it all over. And so it's really impossible for those kind of things to not leak out. But once you see it, then you can, you can know that, okay, if I'm doing this like weird nervous thing, every time I go into this one meeting, like I can stop that. Right. 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 Yeah. The, um, I always think that I'm moving more when I'm talking, like when I, or if I do a solo part of the recording for the, the video cast, I, I feel like I'm moving more my head more sort of like the newscasters do the anchors. They, they definitely move around on purpose and I, I think I'm doing it, but then when I watch my video later, I'm like, I didn't move very much at all. It's pretty boring just to sit there and watch me talk. (laughs) So I know exactly what you mean. Um, Now, of course I'm recording stuff all the time, but I, I think people need to understand that you've got tools on your computer. Most of them have some, recording software or whatever built into your computer and it's really easy and i remember taking a public presentation skills class years and years ago for one company and we were asked to give uh, famous speeches like gettysburg address or uh, churchill's famous speech and really amp it up so that it came across on the camera and and so they they did several takes of us doing these speeches and the first time you think you're, you're presenting it, you think you're emphasizing and it's not coming across. Absolutely. It just wasn't. We really had to 
emphasize and really make the point and raise our voice and enunciate much more clearly to get the point across. It was amazing what the, how good the practice, how much the practice helped us. Yeah, I love that. I, that's that's a great idea, and I I think that is so true. Like we often think it's even when you take a break, like during a presentation, if you're if you need to take a pause, you always think like it's so long, like I nobody's speaking, but it's just like a second, and the yeah. people on the other side don't hear it. So, you know, yes, you have to kind of be visible and do what you can to kind of take up space in this world because. I, I tell people the worst thing is not that someone has a bad impression of you. The worst thing is that someone has no impression of you, right? You meet them at a networking event. They have no recollection of who you are. Um, that's not great. So and I like that point. The worst yeah. is that they have no recollection of you. I really like that. Yeah. Was Ted at that meeting? I don't remember him. <laughs> exactly. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I was in the panel of pictures there on the zoom meeting, but right. they don't remember that you're there. You know, I think the whole thing about practice and 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 working on your skills. You know, for you know, for my European listeners, okay, we'll use you know uh, European football or soccer as the example, and for the American, we'll be we'll use the American football. You know, those players are watching films today. You know, they're they're watching the video of their last game. And the game before that, they're watching videos of their opponents coming up and they're taking notes and looking at what they did right and what they did wrong. And they're cussing at themselves and, you know, because they see the mistakes that they made. Pros will do this. Pros watch the videos. And so that's what I really want to encourage listeners to do is to practice and so on. Are there any um, anything you would offer to leaders? I mean, you've, you've worked with leaders, leadership in a lot of organizations. Um, you know, it's, it's, we talked about it earlier. It's difficult in this time in a virtual world. What advice, what additional advice would you offer to uh, med tech leaders? Yeah, I think one thing is listening, listening to your people. And I know this sounds like such an easy concept, but we get into conversations and we're so nervous about what we're going to say next. And we're trying to think about what the next point is. And we don't really listen intently to what the person's saying, right? We don't, we don't, we need to listen with our, with our eyes. We need to listen, you know, just with our whole being and, and hear and really feel what, what people are feeling. And when you start to listen in that way and pick up the body language, you're going to see a whole different side. Like you might see that somebody's stressed out one day. And so you might be able to address that then with your, with your employees. Okay. Any advice that you have in terms of things to read? Um, I don't know if there's a, a newsletter or if there's a blog on this particular subject of this area of communication, nonverbal yeah. and verbal or books, anything, any advice you have in that area? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, they can follow me on LinkedIn because I put out tips pretty often. And so okay. that's a great way. Um, I'm also um, connected to a woman named Vanessa Van Edwards. She originally trained me. She was one of the folks that trained me. Um, she has a book called Captivate. It's incredible. Um, and it's all wrapped in body language. Joe Navarro is fascinating. He was an FBI profiler. Um, some of his stuff's a little dark, but it's just fascinating stuff. Um, and that can help you um, with, with body language as well. Okay. So I will, uh, and 
people that listen regularly know that in the show notes, I always will have, you know, my guests uh, LinkedIn connection. So Shelly's LinkedIn link will be there. A link to your website's going to be there. A link to um, the woman and her book will be there. And so good ideas to follow Shelly. So I'll have to do that, set up the, you know, so I can follow you and get some of those tips, tips myself. Anything we've left out? Oh gosh, there's so much you've left out, but, but we don't have another hour. Um, now I'm going to yeah. cross my now I'm going to cross my arms and get defensive. <laughs> but you know, the one thing is just to really be authentic, but also to practice this stuff um, in low stakes situations. So, for example, if you're somebody who's always crossing your arms, then like you know, when you're sitting around with your friends on a Friday night, then try to open your arms and see how people interact with you. If you feel like, you know, you need to be more engaging and you go pick up a coffee every day at Starbucks, like try with the barista, right? Because you're going to start to get feedback from those interactions. And that's actually going to give you um, lots of confidence to continue it so that when you do walk into these more high stakes places, you feel more comfortable the worst thing to do is go into like a big, big presentation and decide that that's the day you're going to try everything. Um, <laughs> that, that tends to cause a lot of stress then. And you feel like you have too much, you know, too much on your plate. So just use those low stakes, uh, low stakes moments to practice. Now, I know that you typically contract with an organization to work for them. Have, yeah. you, have you ever done like a, a public program where people can randomly sign up from all over the place and, you know, on a particular Saturday or two days in a row. Have you ever done anything like that? Yeah, I have in the past. And I actually have a program coming up um, kind of the middle of October. Now that's like a five week program and it's all wrapped around influence in the workplace and meetings. Um, And so that's on my website. You can find information about that. And then from time to time, I might um, jump into some other, um, some other places to give some kind of pro bono work. Like I, you know, was laid off earlier in my career at one stage. And so I, I have a place in my heart for people who um, are in transition, because I think it's a really tough place to be. And so sometimes I'll go in and do, I did a meeting this morning for a, a group, local group of uh, folks in transition. Oh, good for you. That's great. Yeah, I help people out all the time Yeah, you know, with um, coaching and improving their LinkedIn presence and stuff like that. I, I do uh, some of that for free actually a lot of it, but, um, yeah, it makes you feel good when you see results too. Um, well, great. Well, it has been terrific to have you with us today and you've shared a lot of great information and, you know, I've learned so much and, um, I hope people take advantage of going to your website, learning more about you and learning the same. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for, for having me. And I, I can't wait to see your body language next time we meet up. <laughs> okay. I'll have my hands out more and I'll be back further from the camera. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you very much, Shelly. Hopefully this hour results in you being a better, more authentic communicator. I don't know about you, but I would like to get my hands more visible in my video window. That will take some adjustments here at my desk. What was your favorite piece of advice? I really like the ideas of speaking up in the first five minutes of a meeting and being prepared in advance of a meeting with something you want to communicate or a question that you need answered so you can achieve your goals. 
there were many other pieces of advice that you can put to work immediately. Thanks again for spending time with me and Shelly today. Now go win your week. <laughs>